And I like to say, you know, everyone's so afraid of nuclear. It's all virtual fear because nothing has actually happened. I mean, yes, Chernobyl, I know, I mean, almost 100 people died. I know it was horrible, terrible, but not thousands, not thousands. Um, you know, Three Mile Island, nothing. It didn't even get past the, the outer wall. Um, and, you know, Fukushima, no one died from radiation. People died from fear. 1,600 people died from forced evacuation when they didn't need to be evacuated. Yes, yes. And that's sad. That's, that's, that's one of those consequences of being afraid and being misinformed is that you make the wrong decisions. Um, and it's costly both in life and in treasure. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. On this episode, what about Fukushima? This is something you've probably heard if you're a nuclear advocate. Uh, it's one of the triumvirate of reasons why people should not choose nuclear, along with the time, cost, and the waste. Nuclear energy has now been recognized by a UN expert committee as the lowest carbon intensity of any major energy source. Anyone who has been involved in climate advocacy will have heard the common refrain, what about Chernobyl? What about Fukushima? We all know about the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. It was a horrible disaster. Radiation was spewed across the countryside after the uh, reactor exploded. Roughly 100 deaths uh, can be traced back to this disaster. Thousands of cases of preventable thyroid cancer, of which 15 confirmed deaths. This is not something we want to repeat. And it's not something that will be repeated. But what about Fukushima Daiichi? This was a more modern design. Uh, It still melted down after a huge earthquake and tsunami destroyed the surrounding countryside and flooded the reactor. In this episode, I'm going to dig into this issue and summarize my interviews with several nuclear and radiation health experts on the subject. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please press like on your podcast app, send me a comment to share your thoughts, and share it with your friends. Uh, I'd love to see this uh, getting more publicity, because I think it's very important. If you uh, like The Rational View, please consider visiting my patron page at patron.podbean.com slash therationalview. For an introduction to the Fukushima Daiichi accident, I'm joined by Dr. Philip Thomas, Professor of Risk Management at University of Bristol. Dr. Thomas has extensive experience in the chemical and nuclear industries and is co-author of the NREFS study, which developed an objective method of risk assessment in nuclear accidents, centered around a figure of merit he calls the J-value, or judgment value. His research shows that the evacuations at Chernobyl and Fukushima caused more harm than they prevented in terms of loss of life expectancy. His work shows that rare radiation-induced cancers typically show up later in life and do not have a significant effect on the average life expectancy compared to the demonstrated damage done by removing people from their homes and support networks and putting them under enormous stress. I interviewed him on the 10th anniversary of the Great Tsunami. 
10 years ago this week, they had uh, an enormous earthquake, uh, one of the worst earthquakes they've, they've ever had, if not the, the worst earthquake. And that led to uh, a follow-on a tsunami. And the <clears throat> and that hit the, the plant, uh, the Fukushima Daiichi plant uh, in, uh, in, in Japan. Uh, and they shut down uh, when they detected the earthquake and that was all fine. Uh, and so they'd gone into a state where they were being cooled uh, to get rid of the decay heat. Um, but 45 minutes after they had shut down, they were hit by uh, this enormous tidal wave. What it did is it knocked out the cooling systems, knocked out the cooling pumps, uh, knocked out the cooling systems you need on a reactor. Uh, the, uh, the reactors uh, overheated, um, they melted, uh, they, the fuel melted, uh, it was contained within the plant, um, but there were gases that escaped uh, and particulate that, that escaped, some particulate escaped, not, and, um, uh, and uh, in fact, uh, this, they were actually hydrogen explosions, not nuclear explosions, uh, but hydrogen explosions, uh, which vented this to the, to the outside world. Uh, about 110,000 people were told that they needed to evacuate. Uh, and which which they which they did, uh, and uh, they were joined by about forty five to fifty thousand of the uh, of people who were living nearby who hadn't been told to evacuate, uh, but decided to do so anyway. So it was around about one hundred and sixty thousand in total of people evacuated, and so we we. We examined that. I, I, I led. A, it was actually a multi-university uh, study. Uh, at my own university, I used the uh, J-value method to look at it. Uh, others, uh, the, uh, other universities, Manchester used optimal economic uh, control uh, to to look at the problem, uh, and uh, the Open University looked at another method. They, they had a collaboration with Public Health England, and they looked at their codes. And the extraordinary thing is, and we were looking at this in 2012. A year after Fukushima, uh, the extraordinary thing is that we all came, all these things were coming to the same conclusion, which surprised us, uh, which was that it was not a good idea to evacuate people from uh, a, after a big nuclear, the worst, some of the worst, well, the worst nuclear disaster at Chernobyl. Uh, the evacuation was exaggerated. Uh, about uh, five or 10 times too many people moved out. After Fukushima, no one should have been moved, not, not 100,000, not 160,000. No one needed to move out of their homes. The first thing that I think our study actually showed uh, was um, that people should be aware that you should be biased against moving people out. In almost no severe nuclear accidents should you be, should you be moving uh, people out, certainly not many people. That's, that's mm. the first thing. But then, if then we then come to information, uh, and uh, the information could be better, the information was actually gathered by people uh, flying around in helicopters and, uh, and, find, and, and taking radiation measurements, and that's, that's, that's fair enough. We have, uh, we've looked at ways of improving on that, uh, and I think that would be the next phase of what I would like to see happening, because you can prove, improve on that. Uh, physics, is, uh, physics and technology have, have moved on. 
We now have drone technology, so it's potentially possible in the future to do far, far better. We have the information, we could use the, that information, we could translate that information on, on contamination into life expectancy uh, harm that would be done, uh, and we can do the whole job, and we can keep people informed in real time on an app on their phones. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be really cool. So just to, to take a, a, a step back and look at the bigger perspective, what what was the harm that resulted from this accident and from the evacuation? Can you summarize, you know, how many people died, how many people were got cancer? What, what, what happened and what was the result of those actions? Uh, well, no, no one died uh, as a result of uh, radiation exposure. The harm that was done uh, was actually the be best uh, es estimate we have of the harm that was done was about 2,000 uh, people uh, in, uh, who were in um, old people's homes and uh, old, older people uh, were moved out. Uh, and about over 2,000 of those died prematurely, earlier than you would have expected that a similar cohort to die uh, within the next three years. Uh, and, and we've looked at the life expectancy that was lost and, and so on. Uh, so the, the net effect uh, of, of the evacuation, not of the accident, but of the evacuation uh, was uh, to cause some premature deaths. The, um, if we think about the harm, well, uh, we can translate the uh, radioactive dose that people receive. We now have measurements of, quite good measurements of the radioactive dose. The, uh, uh, the UN, the United Nations Standing Committee on, uh, uh, on the effects of atomic radiation has done some uh, very good work in this area. We can use that uh, to estimate not what dose people did receive, they, they did, well, we have that as well, and, and they, they received uh, small amounts of, of radioactive uh, um, of dose um, and uh, radiation dose, but very, very small indeed in, in, in the level of one or two uh, millisieverts, which would have very little effect on them at all. One, um, or, one or two millisieverts, just to put it in perspective, is on the order of a typical background annual dose. Yes. At background radiation, that area is around about two millisieverts per year. So yes, exactly so. Um, and but we found that the that if um, if the people had uh, had stayed in the worst affected town, which was Tomioka, uh, there were sixteen thousand people there. They were all moved out. If they had stayed there, uh, then the they could expect to have lost uh, over the next you know, till to the end of their lives, basically, over the next 70 years, uh, we, we were looking at that sort of time period, uh, around about uh, two to three months uh, of life expectancy, which is rather small. If you, I mean, I, I spent 15 years in, in London. London at the moment, the average Londoner is losing four and a half months life expectancy to air pollution. I hear no one uh, is, uh, is asking for London all the inhabitants of London uh, to be evacuated. Next, I'm joined by Dr. Jerry Thomas, Professor of Molecular Pathology at Imperial College London and an expert on the molecular biology of thyroid cancer. She established the Chernobyl Tissue Bank in 1998 
and is an author of a number of reviews on the health effects of radiation exposure following nuclear accidents, having contributed to IAEA publications on the Fukushima accident and UNSCAR publications on the Chernobyl accident. As a health expert, she discusses her impression of the mistakes of Fukushima. In this excerpt, she starts out by talking about the lifespan study of survivors from the U.S. atomic bombs, the major resource for assessing human impacts of large doses of radiation. In Japan, the safety levels are on the order of the natural background. So they're spending mm -hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars equivalent to scrape the topsoil off of the surroundings of Fukushima and store them all in garbage bags. And this is a horrible thing for people driving around, you know, gathering fear, seeing, you know, seeing these mounds of earth yeah, totally stacked up. Are these safety levels reasonable? Is what Japan is doing reasonable and necessary? I don't think it's strictly necessary. I mean, I, I have a lot of concerns over about the decontamination that has gone on and this, this obsession. I think it is partly a Japanese obsession with being clean. And mm. so if something is contaminated, they need to clean it up. And that's a cultural issue as much as anything else. But the problem with skimming topsoil, of course, is that area of Japan is where they used to grow an awful lot of their rice. Fukushima rice was, you know, the best rice in Japan. And of course, if you take away the topsoil, you actually damage all the agriculture as well. And that topsoil takes many, many years to replace. So you're also doing further damage to the economy. There's the psychological you know, viewpoint of this stuff is stuck there. It's really dangerous. It's being taken away from us. Therefore, we must be really scared of it. There's also the economic damage you then do because you're actually making the ground for future generations much worse because you've taken all the good topsoil away. So there's all, there's all of those issues. And, and I think this is where I have a real bugbear with um, regulators and things like that, is if you look at one risk and that is all you focus on and you're not aware of other risks that you might be generating by your actions to minimize that one risk, you can actually make things an awful lot worse for people. And I think that is our problem with radiation. We are focused on this, this nightmare of it might give us cancer and that is all we think about. We don't think about how our actions will affect other people around us, will affect future generations, uh, and you know, will, will affect the future economy. And all of those, as we've seen through the COVID pandemic, you know, when you, your economy starts coming into problems and people start losing their jobs, there are mental pressures and all sorts of things. And that's exactly what we have seen in Japan. The disruption of society and community that went on through the evacuation has caused huge health problems. Nothing to do with the radiation. The radiation, and I've said this many times, the radiation did not kill anybody and it will not kill anybody. The problem is that our actions that we have taken, because we're so scared of the radiation, has actually killed an awful lot of people. About 1,700 people died as a result of a very hurried evacuation. Now, it's difficult to say that that should never have happened because this was not just a nuclear accident. There was also an earthquake and a tsunami to think about. So there may well have been other reasons why those people had to be evacuated. But I think it was done in a rush without proper medical support in some cases, simply because people were running away because they were scared of the radiation. Yet we know, we know from good studies in Japan that if you actually did the same procedure, but with the appropriate support, people didn't die. So our emergency response to it run, to run away killed more people than the radiation ever would have done. And it's, you know, it's still causing people an awful lot of stress out there. A lot of people are still worried 
that they're going to suffer the consequences of being exposed to radiation when we know now that the doses were so low that we're never going to see anything. Indeed. And so this is really interesting. And I think that the rational public policy aspect is, is important to me. And that's one of the reasons I, I do this podcast is that public policy just isn't rational. <laughs> we need to get the rational voices out there so that this doesn't keep happening. Yeah. Um, so well, funny enough, we actually published a paper. It was all written and sewn up and gone to the publishers before Fukushima happened to mark the 25th anniversary of the Chernobyl accident. We published a big review in one of the, the, the clinical journals. And we'd said in the editorial there, the thing we did not learn from Chernobyl was how to communicate effectively the risk from radiation exposure. And then a month before that was actually due to hit the newsstands, Fukushima happened. And you just felt, oh God, we're going through all of this again. We're gonna make all the same mistakes. And it was painful watching us make all the same mistakes again. Yeah, the public reaction has been uh, problematic to say the least in terms of governments shutting down their nuclear fleets yeah. and, and building up coal. And, you know, the amount of deaths as a result of the changes in energy policy are, are staggering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's the, it's the focus on that one single fear of radiation and looking at that risk only and not being aware that if you open more coal plants, you're going to increase air pollution, which we know kills people. Um, if you, you know, and then you've got the issues of climate change. And I'm, you know, I'm not one of these people who believes that everybody's going to die as a result of climate change. But there will be significant environmental changes which will impact on public health. Um, you know, so you have to consider all of these things. You shouldn't be considering one risk on its own. You should be taking, as we do in medicine, we take. Uh, an idea of the risk in the round. I mean, nobody would off, you know, offer themselves for an operation if you didn't believe that was going to be the best thing for you. But there are risks in having an operation. But we know the way operations are performed and the people who do them are appropriately skilled and therefore we minimise all those risks. And we can do the same thing with nuclear power. In fact, nuclear power is the safest way to produce energy. But you wouldn't believe that if you Googled it. It's because quite often a lot of the time it's the science takes so long to do to get results that we're confident with, especially when you're looking at cancer studies after radiation exposure, we need 20, 30, 40 years worth of data. So somebody else can say whatever opinion they have in that 20, 30, 40 years, but you as a scientist can't come out and say, well, no, we do know the answer because it takes 20 to 30 years to get there. So you're always on the back foot and always having to defend the science. Whereas I think now with the results from the lifespan study in Japan that you quoted earlier, um, which actually another thing that people misunderstand about that is they think it's all high dose. It's not. Nearly half of that cohort had less than five millisieverts, which is equivalent to two years living in Britain, for example, mm-hmm. um, from the radiation dose. Mo- you know, a lot of the, the, the population that survived the initial blast had quite low levels of exposure. So we've got that low-dose study. We've got Chernobyl, which actually for most of the time is a low-dose study, if you're looking at the population rather than the workers themselves. Mm -hmm. And we've had 35 years after Chernobyl, and we've had nearly 70 years after the the Japan bombs. So we have massive amount of data now. So we should be looking at it and saying, actually, you know, we got this wrong. This is not as dangerous as we think it is. And I think people are starting to do that, but it was only after Fukushima that I think the scientists woke up and said, we have to do something about this because actually what's being reported in the media is not correct. Yes. Yes. Even 
just this morning on, on CBC and Can- Canadian radio, they were doing a, a retrospective of the Fukushima disaster. And, and the announcer said, you know, 20,000 people were killed by the meltdowns in Fukushima on national radio. It's like, yeah. no, no. I was just listening to our, our um, BBC News and there was a report by Rupert Winkfield Hayes, who I know very well, and I've actually been around the Fukushima area with him. Um, and a lovely report, talked mainly about the tsunami, but the introduction by the newscaster was, you know, the tsunami and the earthquake and, and the nuclear um, accident or nuclear disaster. And they keep using the term disaster. I don't use the term disaster. It's an accident. We made it a disaster. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was the inference was that with, there were, you know, tens of thousands killed by the accident at Fukushima. No, the tsunami killed 20,000 people. And, and, and it does. I mean, I know Japan very well. I spent a lot of time in Japan. And it irks me that when you think of March the 11th, the first thing people ever think about is Fukushima, which didn't kill anybody, which will not kill anybody. And they forget about the 20,000 people who died as a result of the tsunami. And I just, you know, I feel so sad because that's the real tragedy. I should mention that the CBC Radio published a retraction on their misleading statements about the Fukushima Daiichi disaster. We'll close this podcast with an excerpt from geochemist and energy scientist Dr. James Konka. Dr. Konka is Senior Scientist for UFA Ventures, Inc. in the Tri-Cities, Washington, an adjunct professor at Washington State University in the School of the Environment, a trustee of the Herbert M. Parker Foundation, an affiliate scientist at Los Alamos National Laboratory, and a science contributor to Forbes on energy and nuclear issues. And I'd like to say, you know, everyone's so afraid of nuclear. It's all virtual fear because nothing has actually happened. I mean, yes, Chernobyl, I know, I mean, almost 100 people died. I know it was horrible, terrible, but not thousands, you know, not thousands. Um, you know, Three Mile Island, nothing. It didn't even get past the, the outer wall. Um, and, you know, Fukushima, no one died from radiation. People died from fear. 1,600 people died from forced evacuation when they didn't need to be evacuated. Yes, yes. And that's sad. That's, that's, that's one of those consequences of being afraid and being misinformed is that you make the wrong decisions. Um, and it's costly both in life and in, and in treasure. Yeah, that, that's the key aspect. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast was to, you know, let's, let's have some rational public policy people. Right. <laughs> let's, let's cut through this fear. Let's get to the facts and let's, let's find out what, what we need as a society to make, make this work, to address climate change. We need to be building nuclear, maintaining nuclear, and we need to get over yep. this unreasonable fear. I love MSNBC and all that, but, you know, during Fukushima and stuff, they, their nuclear experts were not scientists. They, they were anti-nuclear activists. And it's like, that, they're not nuclear specialists. I mean, they're not scientists. They didn't have one scientist on except uh, uh, Stephen Chu, at the then Secretary of Energy, who didn't know anything about waste or energy, by the way. If you have a weak regulatory authority like Japan had, you're going to have problems, okay? Um, but, you know, TEPCO should have known. That's their, but still, you know, and, and that was, you know, the biggest earthquake and the biggest tsunami in history uh, for that region. And it's like, what do you expect? But even though, it, you know, there was radiation, never didn't kill anyone, never will. There wasn't enough released. There was no, no one got enough of a dose. They didn't need to evacuate for 10 years. Um, so, yeah, so they, they did it wrong.
And, and then they shut down all their reactors. And then they imported coal and oil and natural gas to extreme measures. So that itself killed a bunch they of people. They killed more people shutting um, down their nuclear than, than were killed in the accident. Than ever. Well, yeah, no one was killed in the accident from, from radiation. I mean, a, a big tower collapsed on someone. Okay, that had nothing to do with the radiation. And two, and the tsunami swept two workers, Fukushima workers, out to sea when they died. But radiation didn't, didn't kill anyone mm. at all. It never will. So, um, yeah, the one person they attributed uh, later on was a smoker who didn't spend any real time at Fukushima, so there was absolutely no reason. But they, they wanted to find someone. So he died of cancer, but he was a smoker. <laughs> yeah, so, the, the cancer timing okay. was not nearly correct for for the uh oh yeah uh, radiation yeah. from fukushima to have caused it the, the incubation time right. is much longer than what we saw in that case yeah it's, it's called the latency period latency. there are for specific for specific cancers that are caused by radiation they're not all are caused by radiation i mean you can't get stomach cancer from radiation you can't get colon cancer from radiation Okay, there are certain ones you can get, you know, leukemia, you can get thyroid cancer, but only if uh, with iodine-131, mm -hmm. which was not, you know, all you have to do is not eat anything for two months, and then that's gone. Um, and <laughs> you so, have yeah, other problems. <laughs> <and they're>, yeah. <laughs> and so there are different latency periods. And so when someone comes, you know, when after Fukushima, I remember the antis, especially physicians for irresponsibility, they, you know, they came up and said all these, you know, thyroid cancers are caused by Fukushima, like, you know, five months after Fukushima. It's like, what are you talking about? The latency period is like four to 10 years. And so, uh, again, if you don't understand the science, which is complicated, there's no reason the public is going to understand this, um, then you, you're going to make stupid, stupid decisions. Yeah, they, they don't understand statistics. They do poor studies. They, they ignore uh, control cases, you know, the bias from extra screening, all of that stuff. You know, if you don't do it right, it's going to look yeah. scary. You know, if you start searching yeah. for cancers, you're going to find cancers because cancers are common. Right. right. But we've never, I mean, all of these, all this danger and fear, all I tell people is like, look around, where's all the people that died from nuclear? There's, there's none. I mean, it, there's none. And so it is the safest form of energy there is. Uh, even work place injuries and you know usual industrial stuff like falling off a ladder uh the, the 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 osha safety record of nuclear is better than any industry in history in the world there is nothing that approaches it it's safer to work in the nuclear power plant than to sit at a desk trading stocks in new york city <laughs> those that's OSHA. that's osha number i i'm not kidding that there's just just look up the osha number and that's because no one who's trading stocks cares about safety. <laughs> they don't, you know, it's, it's not commonplace. Whereas if you're in a nuclear power plant, safety is everything. I mean, you know, in fact, the, the, the local one here um, is a new rule. You can't go up and down a stairway without holding a railing. If you're not holding a railing, you'll be fired. They, they're, they're very serious about this. In summary, there's nothing to fear but fear itself when it comes to nuclear energy. Modern reactors are as safe as windmills, solar panels, and hydroelectric dams. In fact, safer in some cases. All of the people killed by these modern clean energy sources pale in comparison to the number of deaths that society routinely accepts from fossil fuels like burning oil and gas and coal. Oil spills, pipeline leaks, tanker explosions, 
Oil rig fires and climate change should be our major concerns. Particulate pollution in the air in cities from coal and diesel, as stated by Professor Philip Thomas, is worse than the worst possible nuclear disaster that we've had this millennium. Think about that. Just living in a city today is worse than if you lived in the Fukushima exclusion zone for your health. And this isn't this is just the, the thin of the thin edge of the wedge. Millions of people are dying every year from the particulate pollution from burning fossil fuels. Think about it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my patron page at patron.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.